0: Welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, returning with my good friend, John Matola, to talk more horror. It is Halloween Eve, and we're on episode, whatever, like 360 something. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation that started out as let's just pick a few horror movies and talk about it to let's talk about everything that ever happened in the world of horror, as only John and I could do. John, how are you? <laughs>
1: Hello, Scott. Moi. Yes.
0: Handling his inner Vincent Price. Yeah. Well, that
1: would have been more like <laughs> Oh, yeah. I think I don't actually I don't know who that was. I don't know who that was. But yeah, well, <laughs> I was Bella Lugosi the first time. I was Dracula the first time. So I could be Um. I don't know whatever creepy person that was. But yeah, we're we're uh, we decided that we would not wait until next year for part two. So let's pick it up.
0: I was glad when you when you reached out because I had some uh, changes in in my schedule with people Mm -hmm. that had to delay uh, interviews and stuff. And I was like, okay, so now I had planned all this stuff and then I've got a couple holes in the schedule. I guess I could do like another Alice Cooper album review or something. Uh, I I went with a Misfits album for my one day gap. And uh, this will air uh, the night before Halloween. And then I've got uh, another podcast coming out tomorrow. And then, my, and then of course, that's on Tuesday. So then my regularly scheduled podcast comes out the day after Halloween. So it's like nine days in a row of podcasts with different interviews and, and uh, album reviews that I had come at me. So uh, it's it's been a week.
1: I expect nothing less from you.
0: <laughs> As you guys are often referring to me on the Deep Purple podcast, uh, how I just seem to put out a lot of content. Yes, this is a a week that definitely stands up to that. As long as it's quality content, though, I don't want to just put stuff out there to fill a void that doesn't exist because we're already saturated with content. As long as it's good, that's that's all that matters to me.
1: Well, I'm speaking of Alice Cooper. I really enjoyed the uh, the last uh, review you did when when I discovered your your new feed. I'm just like you're. I'm like you haven't put out an episode in a while, and you're like, no, there's the new feed. Remember? I'm like, ah, oh, crap! <laughs> I had to like go back and, um, but I think I started with that uh, that one the other day, oh, and that yeah. was uh,
0: welcome to my nightmare, nice. probably.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, uh, I and when we had that conversation, I thought, oh, I should probably say something on the podcast about the new feed. I'm like, well, if they're not on the new feed, they wouldn't know there's a podcast. So, wouldn't do me any good to tell people on the podcast to go find the podcast.
1: True, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, but no, it, that that was a frustrating thing because I couldn't um, I couldn't move the show the way I did the Uriah Heap show so that the feed carried. Um, that got screwed up, so I had to do it manually. And huh. when you do it manually, that's a whole new feed. There's no carryover. It doesn't automatically pop a new app or a new um, you know thing into your podcast player. Uh, like it did with the other one so uh yeah that's that's been a little bit frustrating hopefully people are are reconnecting with the show the numbers did go down uh, because of that for a while but they're starting to come back up so i think people are finding it again and uh you know
1: thanks for listening well yeah you'll see that spike from a couple of days ago that was me so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: and, and you're like holy shit there's a lot of episodes i haven't heard
1: yet oh my like, god damn it
0: I think I think the most controversial one was probably the uh the dual episode that I did with Corey Morissette, who I do the Aerosmith podcast with, um, Mm -hmm. because he wanted he wanted me to review this album by a band called Thunder, which I'd never heard of. And of course, yeah, sure, let's let's do it. You know, I have an open forum for that, like we've done with Kiss and Poison and stuff. And um, I did not like it. Mm -hmm. I, I just did not like it at all. And I and I I had these notes, I really held back. I'll I'll be honest. I held back on what i said because i didn't want to offend Corey, and and like he and i learned that we really have different tastes and so it's kind of interesting that we we do the aerosmith show together and we agree on so much of it because he's not a proggy guy and i very much like progressive music uh i find a lot of stuff that he enjoys a little too simple for me and he's more of a i just want something straightforward that i can listen to and enjoy and that's fine but it's amazing how well we get along when it comes to aerosmith that we're not you know, we're not fighting over the the enjoyment of that catalog at all. It's it's a really interesting dynamic how people yeah. interact
1: with their tastes. I I think and that happens with me and Nate sometimes. Is I I I think it was might have been the Bobby Harrison album. Mm-hmm. The, uh I think it was the Funkest. Mm-hmm. I think it was that one. And I remember before the show, he was like, he wouldn't tell me what the album was, but he's like, the next show, he goes, I think I think you're really gonna like this one, and. He was playing it. I I remember saying, I think I remember saying on the show, why did you think I was really going to like this? I don't really, I'm not really enjoying it. He's like, really? And it's like, and sometimes we, we're really in sync with, I know you're going to love this. And sometimes it's just way off the mark, like not often, but every so often. So it's, it, it happens. It happens with uh, podcast uh, mates. And, you know, and it, it, a lot of times you might
0: think somebody might like something because, of one reason or another, but there's an, an unforeseen factor that kills it. Like, I can't stand this mix or the singer is just driving me nuts. Like, yeah, the music's good, but the singer's ruining it. Like, what was, who was the band that you guys did that had the female singer? I think it was a Tommy Bolin. Um, yeah, Tommy Candy Givens. Yes. And I was like, the music is really good, but please stop
1: making sounds. Yeah, she was, uh, she was a lot. Yeah, she was a lot to handle <laughs> Yeah, at least <laughs> on that first album. I remember the second one. I, I was more forgiving. I'm like, maybe she was toned down, maybe the production was better. But that first one was like torture to listen to at yeah. some points. It was, and and
0: I think I think they either reined her in or they learned that that didn't really work. Or you know, I'm I'm sure there was plenty of press about uh, her vocals. You know, yeah. And then I see that video where who was it? It was it was John Lennon. And he was playing with, um, it wasn't Hendrix, but it was somebody pretty big, and it's a live thing. And there's like a bunch of musicians standing there, and um, and Yoko Ono is there, and she starts making, she's not singing, she's making sounds.
1: No, it was uh, John Lennon, Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and that, it, one's look, been, that one's been that was making the rounds for uh, in the past couple of months, where he's he kind of is playing, and she starts like squealing, and he's like. His eyes kind of get wide and he looks over like the hell is this noise. <laughs> well and I'm like <laughs> did they have rehearsals?
0: Did they just spontaneously do the song together and there was no or she didn't do that in the like I don't it shouldn't have been a surprise to be in the middle of the show. You know, I, <laughs> I feel like that was a surprise. Chuck Berry looks like he was kind of surprised. <laughs> he he definitely was unhappy with that uh, particular vocal choice. I'll say that. Yeah. But, but that's kind of what it reminded me of, was, was her vocals were just so not in sync with what was going on in, in the music, very much over the top. Almost that complaint I have about Steven Tyler all the time, which is, hey, I'm here, hey, I'm here, hey, I'm here, hey, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, there's other people in the band, don't worry about them.
1: Mm. But we got but through But anyways, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So before we before we get off track, we have to re we have to re rail ourselves because we always get derailed. We do. And every nobody will know this, but Scott and I talk for an hour before we even hit record. So this is we we have such a hard time staying on one topic. We We, do. We we should have like the stream of consciousness podcast together where we just where where, wherever it goes, it goes. You
0: know, just like an open forum podcast might not be a bad idea, because if you do it with the right people, it wouldn't venture into territory that becomes sketchy, like politics or religion or, you know, almost any current topic that will set somebody
1: off. Right. Which we were talking about earlier. We never discussed that where we're here for the music or in this case, the movies. So, right, Exactly. If I
0: remember right where we left off, we had talked about the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, series and mm-hmm. uh, we were kind of in the early 80s. But let me ask you, uh, so I don't think I did on the last episode as that uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street series progressed. Did you follow it
1: through all the movies or did you kind of disconnect from it at some point? Um, I did disconnect from it after um, after the third one. Mm-hmm. Um and um, I mean, I have seen the other ones, but they uh, they didn't really hit me as much as the early ones uh, did. Um, like I mentioned in the last episode, the first and the third were my favorite in the installments. And it wasn't really until the past like few years that I really like I watched the second one and I'm like, OK, this is kind of the oddball in between the first three movies uh, sandwiched in there because it's it's in the same house and they kind of carry over the same story, but the storyline and Freddie and the characters and everything were just so, it was a very odd movie, but it was still really, really good. It had a lot to say. And then as it went on to like four five, six and, and beyond, I kind of, um, it was, it was kind of the same trajectory that the Friday, the 13th movies took or the Halloween movies is after the first few, it just kind of, went in this other direction and the, the, the quality became questionable. Um, so um, I, I did. Um, I do remember seeing the, um, which one was it? Um, Wes Craven's new nightmare.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, jumping ahead a little bit. And that was a few years before scream. Right. And I remember he was trying to do what he did with scream with Freddie in that movie, which, I don't know if I knew at the time or if I knew after Scream came out and then I saw that again and I was like, wow, he was already trying to push this idea going in that direction. It just didn't take off with these kind of legacy characters. Um, he had to kind of do a whole new thing, a whole new spin. Yeah. But if you look at that, uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare is almost the, the, uh, the, the Scream before Scream. That makes a lot of sense.
0: I hadn't made that connection, but I would definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, if you're trying to take a an established series and put it in a whole new direction, a lot of times that really doesn't work. It's going to be a forced thing because you have a certain set of expectations of how, you know, five, six movies into Freddy. I, I kind of lost contact with it because it just wasn't it was like I already know everything that's going to happen in this movie. Let's write the jokes and write a movie around it. And yeah. fit all the jokes in versus where i felt when they wrote the first one they went into it with the intention of having some of that sarcasm and and they wrote the movie and put the sarcasm in it so it was more about the story and then the sarcasm was just part of that universe whereas right. later i felt like it was let's write all the jokes now how do we put that into a movie
1: yeah i i mean i feel like um uh, the first two movies um of Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy was not the wisecracking, uh, fun, <laughs> fun-loving murderer that he was. I he, yeah. he really came into his own on the third one, mm-hmm. which I had actually seen recently, and I put my finger on why I like it so much is that visually and story-wise, it really has this kind of almost like a haunted house feel to it. Mm. Yeah, uh, because I remember watching some of the scenes and thinking to myself uh, in in the best possible way some of these sets and the lighting and everything looks like the the best haunted house that you could go to on Halloween with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, and to me, it, when you, when you get into that kind of uh, thing visually with the movies in the, in the eighties or even the present, that's what really, to me, that's what makes the horror movie. That's why it was a true horror movie because it was very, it had this dark feeling to it. It had this haunted house, almost Halloweenish type feeling to it yeah. um and like i was saying in the last episode everything with the the mental hospital and and uh, the the parents or the older people not believing in, in in their delusions about uh freddie and then freddie uh started doing all the creative ways of uh killing off each teenager and and him laughing and cracking some jokes and um Stuff like that. That's, I think, what started his character on that path to being the uh, to like you said, having the having that personality where they probably in some of those later installments were like, Hey, like, here's this here's this list of wisecracks now, let's let's write a frame movie around it. Yeah, almost like the way
0: that I felt the the female Ghostbusters was written. Um, i never watched the movie because I just saw the trailer and I thought this is just, it's like they wrote down every cliche and every joke they could think of and then made a movie. I didn't, you know, that's what I got from the trailer. And Mm -hmm. then when I started reading reviews, it seemed like that's really what they did. And so I was just never interested in seeing it. And I think the thing with Freddie is it just became too much about the sarcasm and the, and the joke and not about making a good movie um i i liked four and uh, i think four or five whichever one brooke these was in from uh just the ten of us um, uh, where she was working out and turned into a cockroach and uh her her arms split off and and all that um, Right. i was a fan of hers anyway and then when that came out i was like oh cool she's in a, a nightmare movie you know and heather Langekamp was also on just the ten of us so that's mm-hmm. you know that was that connection but um I I just kind of felt like, yeah, it's, it's getting too much into sarcasm and it's not a horror movie anymore. The first Mm -hmm. one had the sarcasm, but that was an intense movie. You know, that was like, we've never seen, like we talked about last time, we've never seen effects like this before. It was really scary to think about the power this guy could have. And the most brilliant part of it, we've talked about like the isolation and vulnerability of the characters. Where are you the least in control when you're sleeping? Yeah, I mean, that is like the that's better than being in a cabin in the woods and isolated and and all that. I mean, this is how do you not fall asleep? It's you have to your body will just shut down and make you do it. You are like the ultimate prey movie like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, because when you are and and when you're in that dream world, he has unlimited power. He can turn into anything he wants. He can pop up in any place so you can run that way and you could get a half a mile away from him he'll just pop up behind the next corner he I can guess. turn into a he can turn into a monster uh the the third one he turned into like this big snake mm-hmm. uh remember was like eating the uh eating the the main character in the room or um there, there was one point in the third one where he felt um the uh the the doctor the guy who was the doctor and and uh john saxon who played their um uh nancy's father were like going to bury his bones in the the auto auto graveyard and he sensed it and he teleported himself out of the dream and to his skeleton and started beating the crap out of him (laughs) in real life and then when he was done went back to the dream world it's like so clearly he could do like absolutely everything and these these people that were asleep in their dreams like they can't well that's the thing in the in the third one they were actually able to access their dream powers which i Mm -hmm. thought was a really um interesting concept although it wasn't really a match for freddy because it's kind of like if you have the you know the the good powers and the evil powers like the the, uh, the girl who used to be a junkie, like her power was like have, having a Mohawk, I guess. Yes. <laughs> right,
0: yeah. Well, it's it's like, you know, OK, I just learned how to make cakes. I can go up against Julia Child. Like, no. Right. Exactly. got a little bit over you, you know. Yeah, It, but, it was but, one I, of these. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like it was. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I really like that idea, though, because I that was one of the things that I, I did think about in, in those movies is that. But you're in you know, you're in a dream. So you should realize that there's things that you probably can do because you know this isn't a physical world. And they never they didn't capitalize on that. And I was so glad when they finally did come up with, okay, now we can we can give the people a little bit of power too. Not enough to really match him, but enough to exactly. make it a better fight.
1: Right. Because I mean, if you know anything about uh, movies or horror movies in particular, in, in these scenarios, the the power, the power of evil is always more um is stronger than the power of good. Like, uh, yeah. I remember the uh, the Dungeons and Dragons kid who was in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. He started zapping Freddy with his electric fingers, but he got cocky and ran toward him. And Freddy basically just, like, shoved off. He was just, like, b- like almost brushed off the electrical current and then grabbed the kid by the neck and mm-hmm. killed him. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, you can have the... In, in Freddy's world, you can be good and you can be pure and you can have those powers, but you're never going to meet him because it's his world.
0: Well, let's talk a
1: little bit about the difference
0: that between the different uh, movie killers, because Freddie had another advantage over like all the other non supernatural. And I don't count Michael Myers as supernatural because I still, I still don't understand how in the yeah, last yeah. movies they, they but, <laughs> but so take uh we'll take like Jason and Freddie and Leatherface and uh, Michael Myers The advantage that Freddie had was that he could be anywhere at any time, and you didn't question it as a viewer because it's in the dream. He can do whatever he wants. Right. You're watching Friday the Thirteenth, and you're like, they've been running away from this guy for three minutes. They they are safe. They're clear, and all of a sudden, he's coming at them from the other direction. Like, wait a minute, how did that happen? Like they they put things in those movies that just physically were impossible. And I get that Jason is kind of a supernatural being, but he's also a physical presence. So right. he he can move and he can walk fast, but he never runs. He would have never been able to get ahead of them. So it doesn't make any sense how he's all of a sudden in their path when they've been running away from him for the last three minutes. So I think Freddie had a little bit of an advantage there that he could really terrorize and toy with his victims in a way that that no one else really could.
1: Well, that's that's the other thing is Freddie, Freddie did, uh, it, he did toy with his victims. I think that's a, a good thing that you hit on too, because all the other guys, I mean, I guess I wouldn't really put, um, I mean, I guess you could put Leatherface in there, but at least when I was a kid, it was, it was Freddie, Jason and Michael Myers were like the, like the big three, right? Yeah. Um, and I think the difference between them is, is that the other two, Michael Myers and and uh, Jason were the. the the silent killers they were people in in real life where freddie was a person in real life but he um just like these other guys at somewhere along the line died but then they came back to life Mm -hmm. freddie came back to life in in the afterlife or in in the dream world or something so that was his big difference and he's the only one like the other two guys just seem to to kill because they're unstoppable killing machines they they just they kill because they're getting revenge or because they're they're evil freddy takes pleasure in it he's yeah. he he toys with his victims like you said he he'll play around with them uh, like a, almost like a like a cat you know mm-hmm. the cat and mouse thing yeah. um and he he gets off on it he thinks it's he thinks it's fun it's a game to him where those other guys it's not a game they're just brutalizing people because that's what they do there was a little bit I think of Michael Myers
0: kind of playing around with people like holding a guy up for a few seconds by his throat before he stabs him with a knife but it was pretty minimal. Jason was just like he'll just walk up to you and twist your head off. Like there was there was no uh you know not not a lot of uh moments bef- where you had a chance to to stop yourself. But they took him in a world that was you know taking him to New York and then out into space and Jason Jason had uh had quite the diary whereas yeah you know, Freddie pretty much stayed in his universe until the Jason versus Freddie movie, which was, I really liked that. And I'm kind of bummed that they never did a second one. What did you think?
1: I'm glad they didn't do a second one because to me that would have, that would have gone, I think into the, the new Halloween series territory is, is like you re you reboot it. You have Jamie Lee Curtis. And like we talked about last time and, you could have ended it right there and instead they made two more and it kind of dragged it out and i i feel like they did it with like a one and done um it's it's tied to the time that it was made and it was like an early 2000s movie which i i can't believe i i actually watched it recently and i'm like wow i can't believe how dated the how dated this is <laughs> like i never thought i'd see the day i remember when it came out as a new movie but i really liked it because when i was a kid like that was like the big debate when we were in uh the the kids like in middle school elementary school just like who'd win a fight freddie or jason and i think that like who and uh, without knowing and i may have known at one time the the writers directors people involved in it must have been from our generation and said let's make this happen because you couldn't have been my age and in in, um, in middle school and not had that argument if you loved horror movies Right. Mm-hmm. This is like, who's who's more powerful, Jason or Freddy? You're like, well, Jason, because you can't kill him. It's like, well, Freddy can go anywhere and uh, that type of thing. So when they put them in a movie together, I was like really excited. Um, and um, I thought it was I thought it was really, really good. Uh, even recently, I think it, it holds up, too, because. um, um, Like, first of all, like Robert England, he's he's in the uh, he's in the makeup. He doesn't age. I mean, right. it wasn't that far removed from like, it was what, um, um, like 20 years, I think from the first one. So yeah, he was, he was a little bit older, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, he could have been him in the first movie. Yeah. So like, and that's the, that's the benefit of that. He, he still had the voice. He had the presence. You had, uh, Jason looked more brutal than ever. They brought back the backstory with, um, you know, with his mother in it mm-hmm. and why he wanted to. Like why, like why Freddie needed to use Jason, um, uh, to uh, to uh, to kill for him, and then they just put out a whole new crop of the whoever the teenagers were of the day, and right. just kind of did that whole story, and um, uh, with them, and um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just thought it was like really entertaining. Some of the, some of the fight scenes between Freddie and Jason are some of my favorite of all time because I mean, it's it's the two of them going head to head. Yeah, it's like a, like a childhood dream come true. It really and was I still love watching it, it to this day.
0: I remember those conversations in school too. the whole, you know, or I think I was out of school by the time it happened. But I, I remember having those conversations with people. And I'm like, how does Freddie not win? You know, yeah, Jason is kind of unstoppable, but Freddie, he could do anything. He's not limited to the physical body. So how does he not win? And I love the way that they really gave Jason a fighting chance in that movie, because I would I really thought it was going to be a a Freddy dominated fight. And for a while, I mean, obviously it is at at times. But um, oh, yeah, this episode is a spoiler alert, by the way, for like a 100 things. Um, (laughs) But it's I, I was really impressed with the way they did it, the way they integrated Jason's history into it. Um and that's the other advantage Freddie has is because he can get into your mind. he can see your memories and what scares you and what upsets you and and play out. He's got like every advantage you could want, but yet jason
1: Jason held his own and um I think um that the the end of the movie um i I think to your point they could have made a sequel. I mean, I think that they kind of at the time I thought that they left it open for a sequel because uh. Clearly uh at the end, like they but they both fell into the lake. They both died, but he basically uh decapitated Freddie, mm-hmm. um, which is a callback to the first movie a little bit. Right. Um, comes walking out of the lake. Jason comes walking out of the lake holding Freddy's head, and then Freddie just looks at the camera and winks. So it's like, who really won? Right, yeah,
0: you kind of feel like it's it's one of those things that this is gonna be an ongoing battle, which is why I kind of hoped for a sequel. I think a sequel could have been cheesy, though, you know, like what more can you do with this? You had a great fight, don't don't you know muddy the water, yeah, but at the same point, I realized too, more recently, they couldn't have one kill the other one off because then that goes to now we can't do any more Freddy movies or now we can't do any more Friday the 13th movies because right. we've killed off this character. But I mean, you could with Friday the 13th cause they can always revive him. Yeah. But and I guess they could with Freddy too, but it's, it's almost like they, they might be limiting what they can do going forward if they take this movie too far. So you really couldn't have a clear winner. That was the only way to really end it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, I guess if you look at it on the surface, you'd be like, well, Jason won because he still has a body. <laughs> you know what I mean, right. but yeah. um, but I like how ambiguous it was because there was really no winner. And um, looking at him walking out of the lake, and then Freddie giving a wink to the camera, it opens it up to there be a sequel, which is what we were all thinking at the time. But also years later, with there being no sequel, it's just kind of like it was a great way to end that movie on. This is just like wink, I'm not dead. So and then that's how the movie ends is just like, hey, it's kind of a it's kind of a tie. It's kind of a draw, like who really wins in this uh, scenario? Nobody where we're both on unstoppable Mm -hmm. and um, and then uh, end scene. (laughs) So (laughs) did did it kind of leave you a little bit unsettled? Like for me, I was like,
0: where is he going with his head? What is he planning on doing with it? I wanted to know why he was carrying it around. I mean, I, I don't know, drop, kick it into a cabin or something. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, you never know with Jason. I mean, it did, but then there was two, I think they did a uh, bit really between Freddie and Jason, I think in those movies more than any other, uh, because I don't think Michael Myers had a, an incredible amount of creative kills. He was just kind of brutal. Yeah. But I feel like between Friday, the 13th and um, Nightmare on Elm Street, they had a competition of who could have better kills. Hmm you know and and i always think back to my favorite one of my favorite horror movie deaths is when jason just picks up those girls in the sleeping bag and swings it and hits the tree oh. and <laughs> just
1: kills them oh, you know. I forgot about that oh. it, just, it
0: just like out of nowhere he just like picks it up and swings it and there you just hear that crunch sound you know and oh. and, and they're they're done but i kind of feel like they had a, a little bit of a back and forth between their movies of who could who could have better more creative deaths and and cuz i mean why would if you were making horror movies why wouldn't you kind of want to compete with everybody a little bit
1: well i think that's what it became with those uh, with those franchises as they went on is uh people were expecting um there to be what is the what is the the most creative way going to be that's that's kind of like uh how it, um how it got with the saw movies yeah, it's like when you're watching a Saw movie, your expectation is, is like, OK, I'm going to see some really creative ways that people are going to kill other people, how how Jigsaw is going to kill other people mm-hmm. um, or make them kill themselves or uh, what have you. Right. So it, like so I think that and and that's the thing with all horror movies, like you start out and it's like, OK, he's uh, you, the like the say, the, like the first Friday, the 13th first Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, you have some murders, you have the story and everything. Now it's built into a franchise and it's like, OK, the stories aren't as creative anymore. So now we have to come up with these new stories, but you also have to come up with uh, with the money shot, so mm-hmm. to speak. Otherwise, like that's why people were coming to the theaters to see these um, is because they wanted to be like, oh, OK, what what wild way is he going to cut somebody into little bits and pieces now?
0: Exactly, and I think that was kind of the the sell for a while. Let's let's jump a little bit ahead since you brought up Saw. Let's talk about that a little bit. I I love the concept of it because it. I don't think there was very much that I had seen. I know there's probably a couple things, but there weren't a lot of things I had seen that really put people to the test. See, you know what? What are you willing to do to either pay for what you've done or just to survive for whatever? you know, the the premise was for each person, like the idea of of having to cut someone to get a key out to save your your life in the first one, or the idea that you have to pluck your own eye out to get the key that's in your skull. Like, I, I think about that stuff. And I'm like, this is some brilliant writing. First off, it was it wasn't done before it was it was pretty new territory. And I like that. But I think again, that series became more about how graphic can we make it? How much, how intense can we make the traps versus are we continuing a good story? I feel like the stories started to suffer, suffer a little bit because they were busy working on the traps. Well,
1: I mean, at this point, you have um, now this year, you have, I think, 10 saws, like the, yeah. the 10th one just came out, which I did see. Oh, and did okay. um, yes, I did see that one. Um, and um I guess I won't provide any spoilers um just in case <laughs> but um but I would say that after um after like 10 films it's um uh, you know it, it, it's just like what like what new territory do you go into here and I think that they they did because I know that there was a backstory because I was um Uh, At some point, I think in the series, didn't John Kramer, who is Jigsaw, die and so like actually die? And then some of the sequels were prequels because he was uh, he was alive in the new one. Like he was part yeah. of the story in the new one. So it wasn't a new one set, I I guess, in the present day, but it had oh. something to do with the overall story. Okay. That's the thing is, it's like there were characters and there's a storyline with him and his own mortality having, uh, I think, brain cancer or something like mm-hmm. that, yeah. that I think you would have to see and understand the entire series through to see how the movies fit together. Mm-hmm. So I think that there definitely is a theme and they are pretty creative with the writing, but- um, from what I know of the Saw movies, and I don't think I've seen all of them. I've obviously, seen the first one, um, which is uh, classic, and then I've seen other ones through the years. But this one, I believe, was done in a much um, different way because they still they still had the classic trappings in there of um, that. I want to I want to play a game, but yeah. um, you know they they tied it to um, his uh, mortality um uh kramer's mortality <laughs> see and think, John look, kramer because they see kramer and you think of kramer, oh, from kramer from Thief, right yeah jerry <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> i want to play a game <laughs>
0: that would have been it. they should have him riding the bike that would have been fun <laughs> uh but, but no that that's true and i think the after the one where he died then the next one came out and and it made you think that he was still alive but it turned out it was shawnee smith that was but I'm right. like, "Well, how did she get his voice on tape? Did he record a bunch of these before he died?" And like there were there were some things that I think didn't really match up and then there was like, "Okay, it's Donnie Wahlberg. No, it's not Donnie Wahlberg. Now we're going to bring some somebody else in who Oh wait, you're saying he was tied into this whole thing all along? That doesn't make sense. Like I think they they tried to make it a little too complex and lost yeah. me a little bit here and there throughout the series." Yeah. Uh I liked I'd love the first one because it was different. You know, it was, it was just a whole new concept. And then I think, was it the second or third one when it was all the people that were trapped in the house?
1: Yeah, it was, it was one of those. Um, it was like I, Beverly Mitchell from
0: Seventh Heaven. and I and, can't uh, remember,
1: about, but, but that there one, was one where they were all... That yeah.
0: one was really cool, too, because it took it to the level of you're not just doing this for yourself um it's teamwork you have to work together you you strangers who have all been bad people at one point or another have to work together to survive so it's going to come down to ego and who takes charge and who figures what out i thought that was another brilliantly written film
1: yeah yeah i mean i i remember at the time um it being a new film um it was it was just wild um uh, the the whole concept and then at the end when you saw that he was in the room the whole time yeah oh that was brilliant it, it was almost one of those um like a sixth sense moment you're just like oh, it was in front of my face the whole time type thing mm-hmm. and um and and i think that for better or for worse it's kind of like gone up and down the the whole saw universe the whole saw series um is good it's creative it's good for a scare yeah. um I think they're um uh but I mean, I know that there are people that are fans of it that are just like, well this 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 movie is a better one in the series than this one and this one is isn't as good um kind of like um kind of like the um, I don't know if I'm gonna backtrack a little bit, but kind of like the Chucky movies which I didn't realize turned into such a um such a thing, such yeah. a franchise um where you had the first couple, and then it was several years later and then they kind of like rebooted it um and um you you saw this kind of new life in it and um he he was really he was another character too chucky where um i was like wow it's like um i i was like over the past month i've been watching those movies from the first one on and i think i'm a I think it was a bride of chucky which i think might have been the fourth one i think so but yeah. um or but I that, mean,
0: that third—I think maybe the third or fourth—and then I think Seed of Chucky was after that.
1: Yeah, I think so. There was uh, there was one where well, I think it was there. There were first couple, and then there was one where the the kid was in a in military school or something. And that was I think the one where, in the original run of the movies, after the first like couple of years, it it was like all right, this has gone as far. Like this is obviously not that good. But then when they did the reboot with Bride, yeah. um, it was it was like okay, now we're we're taking this franchise in a different direction and it actually wound up working. Right. And uh, the thing that really impressed me was is watching the credits across these movies. It's like, oh, wow. OK, same guy doing the voice, same director. Like you had a lot of the same people involved. So I feel like they understood the character and the universe. And and he was another one, Chucky, if you talk about somebody that takes uh, takes glee and killing people is very much like a Freddy Krueger type of character. is like he's he's just um because i mean in life like freddie was like a, a filthy child molester mm-hmm. um in life that uh the the guy the the man who uh inhabited the the doll's body was just a uh like a low life he was uh yeah, like Charles a Lee criminal Ray. yeah yeah like a criminal so he had that same kind of uh kind of gutter mentality like uh and now i'm um, okay now i'm uh Um, I'm immortal, so now I'm going to toy around with people. I'm going to I'm going to make wisecrack. So he was like, uh, I think the only other like off the top of my head wisecracking uh, killer that I can think of besides Freddie,
0: and that's only because Michael and Jason didn't have a voice. I feel like they easily could have been that you know sarcastic wisecracking killer. But I love that they named him Charles Lee Ray because if you're going to be a serial killer, you have to have three names. It's it's almost a requirement. Yeah, you know, Uh, yeah. (laughs) And, and I think
1: the voice was the voice was Andy Circus, wasn't it? Um, I I can't remember the actor, but I do know that um, they didn't. Uh, when I was watching the credits, I, I was um, I was like, oh, okay, they had the same voice actor mm-hmm. for for Chucky, at least up to the one that I saw, which I thought was uh, was really good because I, I like I like consistency mm-hmm. um, in in certain ways. Um, well, it's it's I, like,
0: how can you watch Darth Vader and it not be James Earl Jones's voice? You know, right. That becomes part of the character. Yeah. And if it and if they have to change actors, you almost might as well not do it. Because, of course, now with AI, they could easily do that. But, uh, mm. you know, it's it's almost like you might as well not because it's
1: not going to be believable. Right. Right. I, I mean, you know, yeah, or you could have somebody do a James Earl Jones impression, but. Right. Um, yeah. You could really um,
0: somebody really good like Jim Meskimen or somebody like that who can really nail, yeah, uh, a voice. You know, but I I did like um, I did like the series. Um, I know they did a boot a reboot on Hulu also that was an offshoot of of that. Right. I haven't seen it, but I thought the Jennifer Tilly movies I thought they were really good. Mm-hmm. But there's just something about that first one that I think there's a magic in that that they never quite recaptured in, yeah. in even even in the second one. I thought the second one was a little bit forced. But that first one, that was just pure gold.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just like anything else. Is uh, you were what mid mid eighties, mm-hmm. and um, it was um, it was it was just one of those movies where it was really a new, I, I think, kind of a new idea. I don't know if I mean, I'm sure that there were other possessed doll movies, but nothing like nothing like Chucky, right? Um, and so after that, it, what followed would have to really live up to that. And like, uh, like we established the, the sequels were uh, hit or miss, but uh, there's, there's really nothing kind of like those first movies when you have that, that fresh new idea and the reveal. Yeah. And then, and then you try and recreate it and it
0: doesn't always work. Well, and I think there's, there's usually no pressure for the first one. You just kind of write it over a course of years, sometimes or months or, or whatever it is. And when this, when you have success, Just like with a band, you know, you take a band like Guns N' Roses and they had how many years to make Appetite for Destruction. They had those songs down, perfected, changed over the years. And now they hit success and the record company's like, okay, we can make money off of you. Let's get another album. And now you don't have that. And the same thing happens in film. We need a script in three weeks. We need, you know, a basic treatment or whatever it is by the weekend. And, And there are those pressures. But there were two other uh, instances of dolls that I can think of that might have inspired Chucky, which would be uh, the Talky Tina episode of The Twilight Zone, uh, where Telly Savalas was fighting that doll that the little girl was friends with, and then it would try and kill him. And then uh, Trilogy of Terror, which was uh, three stories, and Barbara Hershey had that doll that was sent to her from uh, whatever uh, African country and... Uh, the necklace broke on the doll and it came to life and just was terrorizing her. And interestingly, I think she threw that into the fire, kind of like what the mom in Child's Play did with Chucky, was mm-hmm. threatened to throw him into the fire. That was a great reveal also, by the way, um, where the doll's just like sitting there and then all of a sudden so expressive and not just expressive, but angry. That yeah. was such an amazing scene. Yeah.
1: Like, uh, yeah, he was he was pissed. <laughs> He was pissed, <laughs> yeah, and and
0: another horror movie tie into Seventh Heaven. That was the the lady that played the mom uh, of the yeah. family on Seventh Heaven too. So, oh, okay, yeah, uh, but I I thought it was a great reveal. But after like it's it's kind of like another one where after a while it gets about the sarcasm and about the wise cracks and not so much about telling a good story. Um, I think that's kind of what lost me a little bit was that again it just it lost the focus for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say there they're they can be fun to watch but if you're looking for something that's truly uh like a like a pure horror movie uh something that's you're, you're watching it to just be terrified um uh, that that might not be it the sequels are not always it and they and they've done that as far back as the the 30s like we talked about in the first episode as you go from frankenstein to Frankenstein meets Abbott and Costello. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Right. It's just yeah. like, Oh, it's like, it's fun to watch. Like, uh, these guys be like, Hey, I am here, this guy is chasing me and the uh, Frankenstein's going, but I mean, it's not like it, it just, it loses the the purity of the first yeah. one. Right. Um, so it depends. I think it also depends on what you're looking for. Um, but I mean, if we're talking about like pure horror, pure horror themes, um, yeah, the sequels, uh, sequels to things kind of will um, get diluted or lose out on that. Uh, like you said before, it's it's um, you made the comparison of the, the band having their whole life to write their first album. And then they have the pressure to make the second one. And it's not as good for that reason as there wasn't enough time to work on it. Same right. thing, I think, with first movies and then subsequent ones. Um, yeah. And I think maybe the thing that saves them is. Um, reboots or bringing in like a new team of people um, kind of like what happened on the um, like what happened with the Bride of Chucky it seemed like it was a dying franchise and then you know boom they brought it back
0: yeah and I mean you can't go wrong with Jennifer Tilly she's just such a fantastic actress especially for a role like that you know because she's always been a little bit goth I think which which really adds to that uh, that mystique Mm -hmm. But yeah that's and the other two thing that it happens a lot of times is it's usually not the same writers. So the writer the writer will write the first one maybe the second one and they may work as an executive producer going forward but a lot of times they're not involved in the story they don't have anything to say about it and so it just goes where it goes that universe becomes its own thing based on whoever's mm-hmm. writing it and the studio just wants it done they don't care. and I,
1: I and I and I think that's one of the reasons that I think um um to Um, I can relate it to say, um, the, uh, the Simpsons is, is like, they have been on for so long. And I mean, uh, admittedly, I watch like any of the newer ones. Um, Honestly, I don't even know if it's still, if it's still running. Mm -hmm. But through the years, they had so many different writers come through. And I remember the years that like Conan O'Brien was a writer for them, Mm -hmm. um, was the ones that were some of my favorites. But behind the scenes there were so many different people writing for them but you kept the same cast that it's that's what kept it fresh and interesting is like oh here's my favorite family but there's a, a, there are a ton of different people um that are kind of mainstays or like um, um rocks so to speak in that um in that in that production but then you have the other people coming through and giving this kind of uh creativity to and this new perspective and that's what keeps it fresh and i think uh, like you said writers have a lot to do because i mean if i'm if i'm sitting there and i'm in the in the like the first part of the series all the way to like the last part of the series how fresh are my ideas alone going to be unless i'm some kind of genius right um But I mean, if I have you contributing and a bunch of other people coming through, uh, giving new points of view and perspectives, that's what's going. I think going to uh, kind of keep it fresh. And I mean, I know that like uh, some things like we talked about, like Jason takes Manhattan, Jason in space. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure somebody came up with those to say, hey, let's put them there. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Um, I maybe if you watch Jason X in space, like Jason in space, like on its own as a standalone movie. Then maybe it could be entertaining. I don't know. I haven't seen it in years. I remember going to the theater and thinking this is stupid.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I actually liked the movie. Um, I I I thought it was pretty creative that they went that far into the future and Jason's body is still in existence and hasn't been you know chopped into little pieces and burned in a fire and and right. that up to this point, I thought it was really creative the way that they gave him power too. That that he's just the computer now uh puts him together in this new armor and now uh the the robot is like uh oh, crap <laughs> you know she was she was pretty badass until he got his armor and then just like yeah this is going to be a little bit more difficult mm-hmm. i th- i thought it was creative um if you're going to do something more with the character you can't bring him back to the woods you've taken him out of the woods now so now what are you going to do with him if you're going to continue right. the story you have to kind of leave off with okay he's he's here so we either have a reasonable way to get him back into the woods and just continue the same old story we've always done, or we need to put him in another environment and see how he deals with it and how he learns it and how he adapts and all of that. Um, I thought they used though the same premises, right? Like this couple getting together, getting ready to have sex in a laboratory where his body is. And then he comes back and he kills them. And I love that. um, If you remember the, um, uh, where, where he took that girl and, and dunked her head in the, the chemical where she immediately froze. And then he smashed her, her ice cube head uh, into a million pieces. I like that. <laughs> test. But I thought, I thought it was a creative way. something different to do with the characters than just the same old, okay, he's in the woods. We found a way to bri- bring him back to life. He's going to kill a bunch of people and then they're going to kill him. And we'll see what happens in the next movie. I, 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 at least they did something different with it. I, I appreciated that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I guess it really, like I said before, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for a fresh take on a movie like that, sound, the way you're describing it, it's just like, oh, OK, that that sounds interesting. That sounds different. I would watch that. But if you want the the uh, the the creaky old house, uh, I don't know what's lurking in the shadows, uh, like, grab onto my my partner because I'm so scared. I don't know what's behind that door type of horror movie. That might not be the one for you.
0: no. It, I would say this is not even a horror movie. I would say it's it's almost more of an action movie than a horror yeah. movie. It's just set with the horror premise because it's got the character Jason in it. But I right. don't consider it a horror movie. no, in right. fact, a lot of these, as they've gone on, I consider them more comedies than I do horror movies to be honest. In in the robot uh, played by Lisa Ryder, I can't remember the the vampire series that she was on before, but uh, she was she was kind of the sarcastic, joking character. Mm -hmm. And, And her as a robot kind of just gave it that room for her to be whoever he had programmed to be. So you had that element of sarcasm and humor and I got this and then her getting her head knocked off kind of thing. Um, but overall, I, I thought it was just, you know, I don't see bringing him, him back to the woods and just having the same old movies all over again. Like if you're going to continue it, if you're going to do anything, you've got to do something that's not the same old,
1: right? Yeah.
0: But, but we'll go to uh, Halloween next. So while we're talking about these franchises and then let's jump back to where we kind of left off in the eighties, um, there are, I think five different Halloween timelines if you count. Uh, The third movie, which is its own timeline, because there was no other movie like the third one with that little have a happy Halloween song. And it was there was no Michael Myers in it at all. Um, But there are three of those timelines have Jamie Lee Curtis in them, which makes Mm -hmm. it even more confusing because the H2O series and the final uh, Halloween kill series have nothing to do with each other. So that right. gets even more confusing because you've got the same character playing this this or the same actress, same, same, playing the same character and they don't, they don't work together. They didn't just continue the H2O timeline into Halloween kills. Then some of the movies, older movies are part of that timeline in the Halloween kills. It's only Halloween one and not Halloween two. Why Halloween two didn't happen in that universe. I don't know because it was a continuation of that same night. Um, it just it, the whole thing just gets really weird. And then Rob Zombie's timeline is completely on its own. But I love that he brought um, Daniel Harris back as Jamie Lloyd to be in that uh, in that series, continuing Halloween four and five into his timeline. I thought it was pretty cool. But the whole thing is just so messy. And now the franchise has sold to, I think, Miramax, who are going to do God knows what with it. I'm going to guess. It's going to be like a Netflix or Hulu series. That's what I think they're going to do.
1: And that might be the way to go, because yeah. I have heard uh, when you were talking about the the Chucky series is that I've heard really good things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? Maybe uh, one of those old ideas would be good as a um, as a, a streaming series. Uh, I mean, I've I've heard a lot crazier ideas. But I and I hope that
0: they they take the creative approach that we've seen with so many streaming reboots, like um uh prisoner subblock age got rebooted into Wentworth, and it was a completely reimagined version of the show. Uh, look at what they did with Karate Kid with Cobra Kai. Uh, it's the same universe, the same history, but they've done a completely different angle on it. I wanna see, I don't want to see Halloween as a series. I wanna see something different with it with that same premise, like let's understand Michael Myers a little bit more. I would love to get into his head a little bit and understand what it is about his sister that he needs to kill her because we've never really understood that we've just, it's just sister sister. Why it's it's as far as I know, we don't know why he's so fascinated with her, what it is that he needs to hurt her or can't hurt her. Right. You know Um, I'd like to get into that, but I I would just, if they're going to do it, I want, I want something more from it. I want just something different instead of it being the same old.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, that could be, that could be so many different things. I mean, you could, you could have, um, you could have so many different ideas about that, that I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna try. But like you said, you could go back to the beginning. Uh, you could have a continuation like present day. He doesn't even have to be part of it, like they, that character. It could just be the spirit of the character, the descendants, like something uh, the um, the the setting, like Haddonfield. Like they, they could come up with so many different things. um yeah. I think, like uh, you said, Cobra Kai was a perfect example to me that it's still to this day like one of the most perfect reboots uh from a movie into a series that you could have done. Yeah. Um, uh, across like all all the seasons that they did um, just absolutely brilliant. And I, I really think it comes down to whoever's doing it has to have a passion for the, the original movies and storyline and mm-hmm. do it right.
0: I mean, the question would be, how do you get into Michael's head? Because he doesn't speak. He doesn't, you know, there, there has to be a, a, a method I suppose to, to be able to do that with Cobra Kai. It was great because Johnny's a person, You know, you could you we never got to learn who Johnny really was. And that was one of the beautiful things about Cobra Kai is that we're really understanding him as a person. And how do you do that with a silent serial killer? Right. That would be a challenge. But I think series is is a great segue back to kind of where we left off. Um, We didn't really talk about Jaws and Jaws went uh, four movies. The first one is one of my all time favorites don't know that i consider it a horror movie though i guess it it was and i saw this movie at the drive-in back when Mm -hmm. we had drive and i'm very young um i slept through the first half of it which is just mostly (laughs) exposition and setup anyway uh and i remember waking up like when they're on the boat and the sharks attacking the boat and i just was terrified by this movie i'm probably five years old you know and i think the pink panther was the movie that they showed before jaws so that works (laughs) But oh. I, I just remember being like so terrified. I didn't want to go in the in, like, take a shower because I was so convinced that a great white shark could come up through this little, you know, two inch hole drain uh, that, you know, that I did. I was just terrified. Yeah. And that is that is power. When a movie can do that to you, like you're you're not even in reasonable situations like, well, you know, we're going camping this weekend. I'm a little nervous because, you know, Jason might be out there. That's reasonable. To think that a great white shark is going to come through a shower drain is not reasonable and if they can get you to that point they've really created something
1: amazing oh yeah absolutely um i don't know if i consider the the jaws series a horror movie or horror horror series um i think it was a scary movie or was something that scared you it scared me as a kid Mm -hmm. um but, um, yeah, there there's something about a, a horror movie that I just think, um, like the the other movies that we talked about, um, uh, that haunted house feeling that um doesn't necessarily have to have like a primary, um like like a killer in it. I mean, I know we got into this is that, um early on, we had the the movies like Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman. they had like they weren't really a killer. They were like the main they were almost like the main character when you got into the slashers the three that we were talking about are the 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 killer the person that's chasing people that you have to get away from yeah um this one is, is like yeah i mean the shark is the killer but i mean it's also in in nature so it's it's just kind of like i don't know i i guess i think maybe i'm thinking about it too much as an adult because I'm like, all right, I don't want to get killed by a shark. Then I'm just going to stay out of the water.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's an easy one to avoid. Right. <laughs> right? Uh, but, but I think of it as more of like a thriller. Yeah. Really than yeah. a horror movie because they don't show, like, I I think part of the difference is the gore of it. Right. Like they don't actually really show you anything until the very end. And even with Quinn's death, you don't really see you see him in the shark's mouth, but you don't see the shark chewing him into bits. Whereas yeah. if they had done that, I would say that would lead more to a horror movie. Seeing blood come up from the the depths of the water, um, gives you a sense of, of the danger, but that doesn't make it a horror movie. You know, yeah. I, I, if they had read, if they had made that movie today, I think it would be a much different movie.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, I mean, for so many different reasons, but I I think it, you're right. I think it would would fall more into the category of like maybe a thriller, thriller movie than a than a horror movie.
0: Yeah, and, and definitely comedy. By the time that they got to Jaws: The Revenge, <laughs> yeah. I mean Jaws three was pretty bad. Uh, I don't think the storyline was good, and the effects were hideous. Trying to capitalize on 3D glasses at the time. Yeah, um, but uh, when you get to Jaws four: The Revenge, I mean they're stabbing it with a boat they're the they're, they're electrocuting it the shark is screaming i mean it's just you know like like michael Caine said he got a house out of it which was which is why he did it.
1: oh my god yeah so i that just that just shows you where um uh, when it starts getting uh motivated by um by money like uh, just let's just make some piece of crap and we'll give michael Caine uh, enough money to buy a house then yeah. it's it's like are you really making a good movie <laughs> right yeah exactly
0: but then we get into to you know the 80s starting with the effects and we talked about nightmare on elm street and how they were one of the forerunners with effects poltergeist was another one where the effects Oof. were not overused i don't think i think they were very well placed in the film that they don't i don't think they used the effects to sell the film but they had a very compelling story even though we don't get to spend a lot of time with Carol Ann, we care about her. Like you're drawn into wanting to, for her to be okay in the end. But I, this is one of my favorite movies. I, I could watch that over and over and over and never get sick of it.
1: Yeah. I haven't seen it in a really long time, but this was one of these that, uh, they came out when I was a kid, another one. So I think it was, um, in this, in this universe, uh, Poltergeist, um, like, um, what were some of the ones that came out around this time? Poltergeist, E.T., mm-hmm. The Goonies, yeah. like all, Indiana Jones, all those movies, I believe, were um, I'm not looking, but I mean I think we're within the same couple of year time span. And those yeah. were the movies that I really remember as a kid. And they all seemed to be in the same universe. Right. Um, and those were the ones that all the kids were talking about um when I was uh when I was in school. Cause I remember too that it was um, I don't know if it was after the movie release, they said oh you know that the the girl that played her like died in real life mm-hmm. and and that was one of those one of those things but um i just remember the 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 whole thing with her being up against the 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 console tv with the static and everything um as a as a young kid i could really relate to that because that's that's what would happen if you fell asleep in front of the tv or you walked mm-hmm. into the the tv room late at night and and your parents or somebody left the tv on you'd have the the national anthem and then static mm-hmm. right and yeah. to think that there was something otherworldly lurking in there is another uh thing uh i guess um i guess you could say unreasonable if you think about it as an adult same as you not wanting to take a shower because you think a great white is going to pop up out of it is it's like now you got a tv like in your living room or any other room in the house and it's Mm -hmm. that becomes something that you're like really afraid of yeah and that did a really good job of kind of imprinting that on on my brain i'm sure this is like a million other people Mm -hmm. um but um another movie i haven't seen in years but i would really um really love to see it again yeah um, it's a fun and, one to revisit and and it's yeah. interesting
0: that there were rumors about well and, and uh, Heather O'Rourke who played Carol Ann was ill um, and those rumors did come out but of course then she was in the second one and the third one in the third one she did not look good she was definitely very unhealthy by the time they got to the third one and the mm-hmm. guy that had played Kane in the second one had died uh, during the making of the second one so then when they tried to do the third one and they had to keep the same character it did not work at all but what what I loved about Poltergeist is take a, a you take a killer you take a Michael Myers or or even a, a Jason you have a physical chance of of fight they may be stronger they may be more crafty or whatever or more hell bent on your destruction but you have a physical chance of fighting them cutting their legs off running away whatever it might be what do you do against a ghost <laughs> who knows yeah. I mean, I thought I thought that okay, so this goes back to our Three's Company episode where we talked a lot about suspension belief suspension, right? Yeah. You have to accept certain things. Um the visual aspects of poltergeist, while amazing, are nothing at all like any documented haunting. There's no monsters that show up and block doorways, hallways don't stretch, and you know, none of that stuff ever happens. Like the entity with Barbara Hershey was very much a You know, you have to just suspend belief if you're going to be part of this movie. Um, But the interesting thing about the television static is that spirit boxes in the last few years have become a ghost hunting tool where they flip frequencies really fast to give the uh, spirit, the theory behind it is to give the spirit a channel to communicate. So they just flip channels and you'll hear little word fragments. And some of them are like actual channels that are broadcasting something And then some of the channels are not, and you just hear that static. And sometimes you'll hear a word come through on a channel that's not broadcasting, and they think that's the ghost trying to communicate. So it's interesting that Poltergeist was way ahead of the time, using that static as a method of communication for the ghost. I love though that we didn't hear the voice of the ghost; we just heard Carol Ann responding to it. Mm -hmm. I thought that was much better.
1: Yeah, because you um, that that creates. That creates something that um your your um your mind creates it mm-hmm. um you're just like, what what okay, I'll tell them, and you're just like, Who the hell is she talking to yeah and you're you're filling in those blanks with your own imagination, which anybody watching it is like uh that's that's way more effective than putting a voice to it. And, of course, there's the
0: big controversy of who actually directed the movie, whether it was Tobe Hooper or whether it really was Steven Spielberg. Um, Steven Spielberg was not supposed to be working on that movie, even though he was an executive producer, because he was supposed to be working on E.T. at the time. And uh, he does appear in the film, though. A lot of people don't know this. When the guy is tearing his face off in the mirror, those are Steven Spielberg's hands. So, there was a that. lot of controversy about what, you know, the quality of, of Tobe Hooper at the time, who did the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He was very accomplished in horror, um, but there was there were you know rumors about him having issues and not getting along with the cast. The cast has talked, interestingly, about Spielberg more than I've heard him heard them talk about Tobe Hooper, which leads me to believe that he was a lot more involved than he was probably supposed to be, according to the studio, who wanted him working on E.T., you know, because they they probably felt that was going to be a much bigger movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they both worked out just fine. Yeah, you know, but I think it's an it's another series that was just taken too far. I think the third one was was really bad. Um, you had the whole family dynamic change. You know, the only person that was in it from the original was Carol Ann, and then the fake Kane character from the second one. Um, but it, yeah, I, I it just. Let's try and get money out of it while we still can, is what I feel it, it was. Yeah. Then they rebooted it. Have you seen the reboot?
1: No. Okay.
0: Uh, all I'll say about and I probably shouldn't say this because I, I really don't want to um, influence whether you ever watch it or not, because you should, you know, watch it and feel how you feel about it it's one of the movies I've hated more than any other horror movie I've ever hated. <laughs> and it, and wow. it's not that the film itself is bad. It's some of the things that they did in the setup of the film, like right in the beginning, uh, the family is trying to buy a house and the guy has recently lost his job. And the wife is an aspiring novelist who hasn't even written a chapter yet. So she's not making any money as an author. He doesn't have an income who is qualifying them to buy a house. Who's lending them money. Uh, so you just don't like the movie for practical reasons. Here's the thing. You could take <laughs> me on any journey. I don't care what it is. Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Poltergeist. Um, It doesn't matter where you take me, but it has to be believable within the premise of that universe. Now, in a movie like Star Wars, you have a lot more liberties. But in a movie like Poltergeist, where it's set in the real world, it has to be believable for me. Like I'll go on the journey, but you've got to like, I shouldn't come out of it going, whoa,
1: at any point. I mean, yeah, I mean, I get it too, but I'm, I'm wondering too, like, all right, so there are, there are a couple of people, a couple of people our age who, um, like I'll, I'll, I'm there with you, right? It's like, there were certain things in the, uh, in the universe of a movie, if it's set in real life, then I would think the same thing. It's like, okay, who the hell are who the hell are approving these people for a mortgage? How right. could they afford this house? Mm-hmm. Whereas if it were somebody half our age being the the target audience or the audience watching it, are they going to care about that?
0: Yeah. And and I realize I'm I'm probably more over the top than most people would be. And probably because I spent so many years working in mortgage <laughs> that hit a little harder for me <laughs> than it would have otherwise. Yeah. But yeah. I I mean, I, I just make it believable. That's the thing. Unless you unless your movie is specifically not meant to be believable, like Chucky. You know, the fact that a doll could come to life and start terrorizing people is is less likely than a poltergeist situation. I feel like poltergeist should have been real world
1: scary. And and see, that was another thing that I forgot about when you mentioned um when you mentioned Chucky, now I had seen the first one maybe uh, again within the past like month. And um, now I think it was said she lived in what, Chicago, New I York. So, yeah. so I think it was, I think it was Chicago. Chicago yeah. Right. So, she, so the, the mother works in this department store, the boss is like, nah, you're, you're working tonight. And she's, uh, which first of all, I'm just like, all right, no, no boss comes over and is just like, yeah, you're working. I mean, if I said that to, uh, somebody uh, where I work or if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, Fuck out of here. I'm not working tonight. You have, I, yeah. to, you have to ask me. You can't just tell me I'm working tonight. Yeah. But it was clear she's a single mother and needs this job. So she does it. Mm-hmm. They go back to the apartment. And um, and while they're panning through the apartment, I'm like, it's not a bad apartment for downtown Chicago on like a single mother's salary, a uh, single uh, who,
0: mother's department store salary. Exactly. Which is more, like
1: 1350 $13. <laughs> an hour. <laughs> right but i mean when i was like 12 years old watching the chucky movie i don't think i was thinking that but so i mean i think um it's it's um yeah just you could find you could find holes in anything i mean somebody could find holes in the star wars universe i'm sure so Mm -hmm. and and have um and we won't go we won't even go down there but i i just (laughs) think that it's i find myself doing that kind of stuff a lot more as like it's supposed to be a horror movie and i'm like I'll turn to whoever I'm watching the movie with. I'll be like, how could she afford this apartment? <laughs> it's like, I'm starting to sound like my dad, you know? And,
0: and the thing is, there was no reason for it. Like there was there was no reason that the apartment had to be that big or luxurious. It didn't It didn't yeah. enhance the story other than to give Chucky more room to hide or more room to roam around. There was no benefit in it being
1: that unrealistic. Exactly. But um, I, I think that, um, yeah, you really have to take yourself out of that headspace. Otherwise, you know, I, I turn into my into my dad, who I remember there was like I'll watch a movie with him, be like, oh, look at that lawn. He, uh, well, how do they? <laughs> he's just like, look, do they even take care of it? It's like not even part of the story. And he's right, just like. Yeah. Do they even mow their, you know, they should put down some seed. And it's like, <laughs> I could just hear your dad saying that too. That's it's not, funny. it's not even the point, but, um, but yeah, so we're getting really grumpy old men on these films now. But, um, yeah. but if I, but if I take myself back to the originals, like, yeah, I can find so many, so many issues with it, but I try not to. Um, yeah. Have you seen uh, Cinema Sins at all on YouTube?
0: Um, I don't think so. OK, so this is a channel that specifically goes back and points out everything that they find that that's wrong in a film. And I, I remember like Die Hard, I think, was one of the first films I saw where I just automatically started analyzing things mm-hmm. and going like, wait a minute. His shirt was way dirtier in the last scene than it is now and you know, stuff like that. Uh, the elevator shaft scene is the most obvious one where he's like flying away from the elevator, but he manages to catch the the ledge. Mm-hmm. Um and it's ironic they didn't talk about that but they're they're going into things like wait a minute in this year the amount of barabons that they're talking about would have been this uh, would have been worth this and that doesn't make any sense because of this and that and I'm like holy shit they're like really diving deep into wow yeah stuff that the writers were like oh this probably sounds good enough you know i <laughs> didn't really think about it yeah but they what i hope that they're causing is that they're causing people to really analyze their films more before they put them out or in the writing mm-hmm. process or in the, you know, in the practical design process and kind of avoiding some of these things that were that are taking us out of the movies. I try not to be analytical. I really do try to just shut my brain off and enjoy a movie, but it it just creeps back in. It's just the way that my brain works, it's analytical. So it picks out those kind of things. So I I hope that they do more, but it is interesting when, you know, when all the stuff that they talk about, like another one with Die Hard was like, wait a minute, how was an ambulance in this truck when, when it was only people in this truck before there was no ambulance, there was no room for all these people and an ambulance to be in this truck. I'm like, I never right. thought about that. You know, it, it, <laughs> it probably made it worse for me watching those, but, but I, I like that it, it has the potential to make current filmmakers and future filmmakers really think about what they're putting out there and avoiding some of those little things that can be picked out and take people out of their movies like us.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So yeah, the poltergeist series was good, but um, ran its course very, very quickly. And then the reboot, um, if you ever watch it, let me know what you think. I'd be curious. Uh, The shining though, the shining, that is to me, one of the, I hate to sound cliche and say it's one of the best horror movies ever, but it's one of the best horror movies ever.
1: Now, I'll I'll have to. Uh, I mean, my my uh, my take on it will be pretty short, just because I'm not I I'm not as familiar with it. Like mm-hmm. I I have seen it, mm-hmm. but knowing it inside and out like some of these other movies, I don't. Um, and that was one of those movies that I talked about on our last episode that were the bigger budget studio films that i kind of um i i I think i had a kind of contempt for them uh the kind of way that i had contempt for grunge killing hair metal
0: (laughs) that just as soon as you (laughs) said that that popped right into my head yep
1: (laughs) it's because there were all these like um uh lower budget independent uh Uh, films and everything and then you started having uh the these studios make like uh and i mean great films don't get me wrong um but they were more like um um just uh big budgets bigger stars like more elaborate um but a lot of them i know were also very um slow slowly paced like i mean um you had um you had this film Um, you had, um, I think like we talked about in the last episode, the Omen, uh, the exorcist, um, they were, they were all very, um, they were just all very like slowly paced. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, that's, that's a great style. Those are some great movies, but I just think that there was, um, there was just some kind of some low budget, some grit type of factor that was really lacking in, in these kind of movies. And, um that's and to the getting back to the original point was that's one of the reasons i'm not as familiar with this movie this is like i did give it a chance i have watched it Mm -hmm. um it's just i'm not as familiar with it
0: so i'm gonna have
1: to defer to you it's it's one that
0: i think really set an interesting tone again going to the isolation you're putting these people in a hotel where they're they're just stuck in snow they're not going anywhere you know Um, but having, having the shining, which is that connection to people that can receive that frequency and, and, you know, the ability for him, for Danny to call for help. I love that, um, this little kid, you know, Danny Lloyd did such an amazing job and he was, he didn't understand it was a horror movie, which was the great thing. I mean, he understood there were certain tense scenes, but he was really just not led to believe it was a horror movie. They really did a great job protecting him, but still got the performance that it was real um, I thought they had some great reveals in it. I love the ongoing controversy about the movie, though, the the conversation that keeps going about what was really the premise of the movie, all these hidden things, why certain things appear in certain scenes and then they disappear in others in that same room. Um, I, I love that. I, I I feel bad that Stephen King couldn't appreciate what Kubrick did with his story. I get why he didn't. Um, he hated The Shining because it wasn't the book. It wasn't a movie of the book. Um, it was an interpretation, like a am taking the premise of your book and making a movie out of it. And, and King didn't want that, which is why he did his own uh, miniseries. But for me, that's one that will um, stand the test of time. And then when Stephen King wrote Dr. Sleep and they made that movie with Ewan McGregor, they did a great job of integrating in the movie f- the feeling that you were back in the Stanley hotel from the Kubrick version telling King's story as if the events of the Kubrick version happened, but in a more Stephen King way, it was just so beautifully woven together. I have to give props to the filmmakers, but it was nice to revisit. It was nice to see what happened to Danny, you know, 30, 40 years down the road and, uh, and get a little bit of closure on his character. It was a little bit too uh, graphic, you know, special effects, intensive in the movie i haven't read the book yet i'm gonna to have to read the book at some point but yeah it's it's one that if you've gotten over the studio feel that you had um might be worth revisiting no yeah you gave a chance. Would. that's all i'm gonna say huh you gave grunge a chance
1: Yeah, that's, that's true yeah and we
0: pretty much <laughs> ended up where we started on
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um no but i i definitely would i think it's it's more of um um what i've uh discussed uh before on um on uh my my podcast is um is just my um my unwillingness to give anything a try mm-hmm. uh, when i was younger uh just really shutting out a lot of things and just not being interested for whatever reason yeah. um and so as as an adult now that i like um analyze why why a woman uh, on a department store salary has such a big apartment in uh downtown chicago i could uh, definitely be like all right I'll, I'll take a look at this movie that i may not have liked before because right. i mean i mean they all they all have something to offer and your tastes change over time and um um like i said i don't like obviously i know the movie i know scenes from the movie but to see it all the way through it's like um it's, it's been a while or I may not have even seen it all the way through. So it would definitely be like uh, almost seeing it for the first time, which yeah, right. um, I think I think that that's so cool, too, is when there are movies that are and you can't deny that that movie is like iconic. It's it's it has its place in history where there are people now and I'm not talking about like kids. Uh, I'm talking about people our age who are just like. Oh, I've never seen The Shining. I've never seen Psycho or something. And and you're like, oh my God, I've never seen Star Wars. Like one of the great um, joys is to sit down with somebody like that and see that movie with them seeing it for the first time to see what their reaction is because, um, you know, who knows? Who knows what it's going to be? Well, and there
0: is a new trend uh, on YouTube. Uh, If you type in just uh, first reaction or Mm -hmm. uh, reaction, and you'll get a variety of movies where people are sitting there and they're watching movies. Usually it's like two people and one of them seen it and one of them hasn't. Or it's just mm-hmm. a person watching the movie for the first time. But they go through the whole movie and you really get to, you get to kind of rewatch it with them.
1: Wow, and that's cool. You know,
0: you get their reactions, which some, some of them are good and some of them are way over the top. But it's kind of neat to, it makes me wish I could go see these movies again for the first time. Which is because I don't remember how I reacted to a lot of them. I mean, I might remember certain scenes, but in general, I don't remember a lot of my initial reaction. It would be nice to know what was my thought process when I saw this? Was I just so into it that I was, you know, every every jump scare got me or, you know, was I removed from it and just like, oh, they tried a jump scare.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, jump scares are a big I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't discount them at all. Like I, um, I mean, I hate, <laughs> I hate jump scares, but I like jump scares. Right. Um, yeah. so, uh, and I feel like that's where a lot of, um, a lot of those movies went to and a lot of them now went to is, is, is having the, that, uh, the jump scare, be it like visual or visual and sound design together. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, one of the more recent ones that I've seen, which, um, was the, uh, the nun series. There's the, the nun, the nun too
0: yeah i haven't seen them yet but i've heard they're really good Oof.
1: yeah i mean just the in this particular movie and i mean i i want to say that any i think any horror movie that has kind of the religious aspect to it and it goes to the kind of the darker side is always really just oddly effective i don't know if it's just me or if if it is but i always find those themes kind of like the the mental hospital theme in a horror movie just really fascinating and and terrifying so you have this this nun in the convent and um it's just this evil presence and you just see her coming out of the shadows and like the the way that they do the the face and the eyes i don't know if it's makeup cgi or whatever but also the i don't want to say the theme or the music but it's just one of those um the the sound that they use when the nun comes onto the screen is just so unsettling and so terrifying that you're just like oh my god and you don't know when you're going to open up somebody's going to open up a door turn a corner and there she's going to be and it's one of those um it's like a another one of those um not a low frequency but it's just kind of like she shows up on the screen and you just hear like you know and you're just like oh you're thinking oh shit i gotta get out of here like an
0: emergency (laughs) signal
1: yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like it's very and and she's like kind of gliding closer to you on the screen and um like but a lot of those creepy
0: that that
1: non-standard movement is yeah. another psychological
0: trick, right? Like you they yeah. put them on a skateboard and they're just like rolling them slowly, but they're coming at you without that physical motion of of walking. That is creepy stuff.
1: Well, the the non-point of view the the I'm sorry the point of view shot is something that um is you don't you don't really realize unless you're analyzing it. but if they give you if the camera gives you the point of view of the character and the nun looks like they're coming to you, the viewer at the screen, that's why it's so terrifying because you feel like that character is chasing you right um, yeah. there was a um there there was something that made me think of it because it was like I think used to really great effect um in Nightmare three, just to go back at that was there was one of the early scenes where Patricia Arquette was running away from Freddy and he came around the corner and she was stuck in like this tar or quicksand and she was just running in place. And it was, um I don't know if it was forced perspective or not, but they showed Freddy coming around the corner and he kind of was like, came around and he was getting closer and he was getting closer at like a really alarming rate, but they had kind of like slowed him down. It was like kind of um, not total slow motion, but a slower motion. Mm-hmm. And she was just running in place and he was still moving and getting closer, but she was still in one spot. And I still had that feeling of dread, like, Oh my God, he's like, he's, he's going to, she's got to move. She's got to hurry up or she's going to get him.
0: Right. And yeah. it's just
1: like, and and I think that's one of the things with like older, older films, like, 30, 40, 50 plus years ago is like, they still have a really um, just relevance to them. Like people say, oh, that's an old movie. That's not scary. It's like, no, older movies can still be really frightening. Yeah. Well, cause... I think
0: too, and, and your your point about the difference between the big studio budget films. And, and I don't know if by that point, Nightmare was a, a big studio film, but um, they, when you have to work harder because you don't have the budget, you tend to be more creative and you tend to to find ways to do things that you wouldn't even necessarily think of doing in a studio film because you have to. And, you know, even some of the short films I've worked on, I've been amazed at the creativity with no budget or a very low budget, what they've done. and I And I've often thought, you know, if this were a studio picture, this wouldn't even be a scene because they wouldn't even think of it. They always think high dollar and then they trim it back. So I I like that. I I and it's amazing how you don't need a lot of money to create an effect like that, but that effect is more powerful than it would be if you threw a lot of money at it.
1: Yeah, absolutely because I I mean uh, that that takes more into account the the uh the the psychological effect that it has on the viewer than just I don't know creating a scary monster mm-hmm. and you have to do something with it and that's where lighting and and uh, uh direction and the w- uh, point of view the the angle of the camera all that stuff mm-hmm. is just really um i think important and, and because you 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 can't just have uh i i think if you had like uh we were talking about sound before with uh, uh on the last episode people walking or a knife coming out of the knife holder yeah. if you were just uh, if you just had like your your iphone set up static and you just saw freddy walking into the room you know it would be i mean yeah i would be shit in my pants but i mean it wouldn't or chasing somebody and you just see somebody running by it wouldn't have that same effect as that that effect where you see a smaller object coming around a corner and growing larger Right. While you have one person like running in place, trying to escape like that creates this tension in the viewer uh, just through um, just through like uh, the the camera angle and the perspective and the lighting and and everything else that's involved in that shot and the music. Mm -hmm. And I think too that, that
0: displacement of speed, you know, where he's coming around the corner and you expect he's just going to run at you at normal speed or whatever, you know, his running speed is. And it, and it changes the perception by slowing him down. For one, it increases your time of fear because it takes him longer to get to you. Or you're wondering if he's going to snap out of it and just all of a sudden be right there in front of you. And you can't move because you're in the quicksand or what I call like a molasses moment where you're just like yeah. stuck in whatever. Uh, I mean, that is such brilliant cinematography and and writing that doesn't cost money. You know, it doesn't take a lot to make a shot like that happen. But it's so powerful, and those things can be some of the most effective um, tricks to use in in a movie to make it uh, to make it scary.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so I got a couple other movies I want to talk about, and I, I want like any movies that you have that you want to talk about also, because we've kind of just jumped all over the timeline at this point. But um, yep. the others with um,
1: Nicole Kidman, that was a slow burn. Have you seen that one? It's. Um... It's been a while, but I I have seen it. When when did that come out? That was oh that would have been
0: uh, mid nineties maybe.
1: Was it? I thought it was 20, 2010s or something. Or was it? Oh, it could 90s? have been.
0: Yeah, very possibly.
1: Because I I'm pretty sure that I it I've probably
0: seen it. was. I have no perception of time, John.
1: Yeah, and me neither. Uh let's see. The others was 2001. Oh, oh two thousand one. Wow. Okay, all right. So you were close. Yeah, geez. Oh, wow. I mean that that also. That also shows how time goes away. So, oh, did that just come out 20 <laughs> 22 years ago? Yeah. What do you right. mean it's
0: Cyndi Lopper's 40th album anniversary? Oh my god. Yeah. Uh I I really like this movie. Um, I liked I like movies that have a twist that you just had it when you look back, you're like, I should have seen that coming, but you didn't and it's reasonable that you didn't but it's also reasonable that you should have that was a very well written movie for me a little long a little dragged out but very well written
1: well if you're if you're going along uh, i mean and that that kind of fits the the timeline hopefully going into the <laughs> something close to the current day was um that i mentioned before was the sixth sense yes which um i saw that one in in the theater i was within the first few rows i remember Wow. Um, I, I, and I think it was because there was nowhere else to sit. So then I oh, yeah. hate sitting, hate sitting in the front. Hmm. But, um, that was one of those where, um, I definitely would consider that a, a drama slash horror movie because, um, you know, the, that did a really great job with the, um, again, the slow burn, the atmosphere, but then that, that twist at the end where you were just like, he was dead the whole time. Like, what the hell? I was like, I don't remember being pissed at myself for not realizing it. <laughs> it's like, which I'm sure a lot of yeah. other people were. But I mean, yeah. uh, what <laughs> what what a what a great twist in that one too. But I mean, for all the how how it's become part of like the uh uh the the culture of the uh I see dead people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it was pretty it was pretty shocking. It was pretty terrifying, like At the time when it came out, I don't know if you saw it when it came out, but I did. And I'll tell you, uh, I think I
0: I don't think I saw it. in the. No, I did see it in the theater. Um, Fortunately, not. I didn't have to sit in the front row because that does suck. Um, But I remember I I found the premise believable except for one scene, which I'll Mm -hmm. get to in a second. But another thing that really made that movie work for me was the setting. So you're talking autumn in uh, in an area where it rains, probably very similar to where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you have that drizzly feeling through the entire movie, all the the changing colors of the leaves on the ground. I think the setting of that movie, the time that they chose to, if they'd done it in the summer when it was nice and bright out, I don't think it would have had the same effect. But having just that, you know, it's always a little cloudy and might rain. Um, you know, the wet leaves on the ground kind of feel to it. I think the setting had a lot to do with why that movie worked for me. Mm-hmm. But the one scene that I I have to dispute. The premise of the movie, because I, they opened it up with Bruce Willis getting murdered. And great performance from Bruce Willis in this movie. I love the gentleness that he spoke to Cole with. Um, that really showed his his abilities yeah. as an actor, I thought. Um, but they they show him get killed by Donnie Wahlberg, who I didn't know for a long time that was Donnie Wahlberg because yeah. he really lost a lot of weight for that role. Mm-hmm. Um, looked very unhealthy, but played that role brilliantly, you know. Um, but What I they and then he's just okay, so he was attacked, and then they kind of leave it at that, and then they start the movie like several years later, and you're like, okay, well, he survived, and that's that's how they set the whole thing up, right? I could follow every scene in the movie and go, okay, I can see, I can get it, I can follow this, I think this is okay. This scene in the church, yeah, it's fine that they're interacting. But the one scene where Bruce Willis is in his house waiting for Cole and he's sitting in the chair and his mother is sitting in the couch on the couch. They never spoke. So he just walked into the house and he's just sitting there and doesn't say boo to the mom. And, of course, she's not responding to him because she doesn't know he's there. That scene bothered me because that didn't work. Mm hmm. How would he sit there and, and not have any communication with her? How has he never talked to his mother before? You know, and and said, hey, we need to talk about your son. I've been assigned to his case. You know, what have you tried? What's going on with him? Nothing.
1: I think that that, and I mean, um, it's it's been quite a few years since I've seen that movie. But I, I I think that it was set up just like the rest of the movie was that there were there were scenes where uh, you you didn't question that um if he wasn't talking to the mother or if somebody didn't see him because you you overlooked it because uh, it was um they they kind of um without without seeing it back there were i think a lot of maybe a lot of exposition or scenes that they they would have put into a regular movie mm-hmm. and the way that they frame this movie was is like okay they were they were already sitting in the house waiting for him and he goes by and you could see it be completely believable like maybe they already had a conversation and now they're just kind of both like defeated and and just right. kind of showing them be like and then and you don't think about it in the moment right because right. they they left that part out and the movie is so like he mm-hmm. um uh very um very quiet um it's um it's it's like a very quiet uh type of movie like uh, bruce willis speaks like you said with patience and a very low tone and it, it's a very like subdued type of movie yeah um except for the few um kind of jump scares it's very atmospheric so it kind of lulls you into this like you forget about it you don't you don't question it at the time and yeah. maybe and and that's when if you go back you you look at it and you're like okay well There would have been a scene where he walks in the door and they have this dialogue about being assigned to the son's case and then they sit down and then he comes in. And instead, they they just kind of um, they kind of started off from the middle uh, to kind of trick you into thinking that he's alive, which is the, the 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 trick of the whole movie. Right. Um, which, which I still think is great after all these years, and you could watch it now. Of course, you watch it first, and you'll never get that first impression back again. Yeah, that's um, the
0: thing that sucks is that you can't you can't revisit it first time again. Right. Um, and but like I I do I you know when I have watched it since after knowing the the premise of it, every scene. It, well, the the other one was with his wife where she's having dinner, you know, having their their anniversary dinner, and he walks in and he goes, "Oh, I thought you meant the other restaurant I proposed to you at." Where did she ask him to meet her at a restaurant? He's dead. He's not going to say, "Hey, um, if you're here, why don't we go to Shay Matola's?" And you know, <laughs> it, it, it's like that. Those two scenes, but but I kind of forgave the 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 dinner thing because I'm like, she might have just, you know, it whispered, uh, "I'm I'm going. Let's 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 take it back to the beginning or whatever," because she hasn't let him go yet but the one the one with his mom i'm like i can't get past that that's the one yeah. scene that that i have to say ruins the theme of the movie for me because i can't i just can't settle on the fact that he's sitting in the, on the couch and didn't have any kind of conversation how did he get yeah. in there um but apart from that i thought it was a brilliantly done movie the reveal scene when when bruce re- understands that he's dead that was such a powerful moment so yeah. brilliantly acted and and shot um the cinematography the ring rolling across the the wood floor the sound that it made it just I, I could not have asked for anything better
1: yeah i mean i i would have to um i would have to agree and um also i'd have to go back and see the movie from my perspective now to to understand why that scene bothered you probably i would probably agree too
0: yeah, but, <laughs> I, I have no doubt that once you look at it again, you're like, yeah. you know what, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but uh, there was another movie I wanted to ask you if you've seen called The
1: Uninvited. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure I did. A lot, a lot of these. Um, I know that I've seen them. Um, well, it's a lot just, of these are like 2
0: titles that sound generic. After a while, right? You're like, okay, which one was that though? You know, right. this is the one with Emily. Um I'm not gonna think of her name now. Such Emily. a talented actor too. Emily Browning? Emily Browning, yeah, who did an amazing job in um oh shit, I did a uh, I did a review of the soundtrack of it. Um Sucker Punch. Um and a and a very talented singer also uh she's you know the younger sister and they've they've convinced her that she's you know she belongs in this mental ward and it turned in in the whole premise it's, it's another one like the sixth sense where there's a twist at the end where you're like holy shit i should have seen that and didn't but with this movie i was not able to go back and say okay this doesn't work or that doesn't work like every single thing i was like this is this is the masterpiece. Like the sixth sense was the hey, let's try and do movies like this. And then The Uninvited
1: was the movie that did it to me. OK, um, yeah, that one, I I just I uh, gave it a quick. Quick look up and um, I it's it's been another one. It's been a while. I haven't seen it. Some of I mean, I've seen a lot of great uh, recent horror movies or horror movies with the, or psychological thrillers, I guess you could say, within the past. Twenty years, but haven't seen them as often. Like the movies that we discussed up until now, I've seen on like multiple viewings. They were part of like my 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 history, so Mm -hmm. that's why they're more ingrained in me. Some of these, it's like, oh, I I can't remember. I'm not sure. So, do you do you
0: find though that nowadays you tend to go more towards the thriller than the horror movie?
1: Um, I think it's because it's what's available. Um i mean there yeah there are there are a ton of horror movies out there like we said before you can go on any streaming platform and say you know watch any piece of crap horror movie that somebody's thrown together yeah um and um i i don't i don't usually um waste my time with it unless like i said if it's got a good uh trailer <clears throat> maybe a convincing movie poster or something like that it sounds good yeah. um But, um, but yeah, I I think that a lot more of them that I see now are like, uh, thrillers, psychological thrillers, um, um, stuff that's, that's definitely, it has a, has an, like, uh, an air of, of dread to it, I guess you could say. Um, whereas like the, the actual haunted house type of, uh, uh, movies are, I, I feel like they're few and far between. Yeah,
0: I, I think I kind of lost a little bit of my flavor for horror because so much of it that was coming out was just either cheesy or repetitive or they just tried to make it as gross as possible because, you know, the Saw movies, I think, kind of push that. Hey, if, if you make it disgusting, people will watch it. Um, and I think I went more to the thrillers for a while, movies like uh, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a movie called Circles where uh, all these people are just suddenly in this room and they all wake up and they're all standing on their own circle and they're, they have to work together as a team to try and figure out why they're there um, while every so many minutes this timer goes off and one of them gets killed. And so they're trying to solve the mystery before they're next. And and I kind of really got into movies like that for a while because it was more psychological. It was more stuff that you want to see what these people do in intense situations where it's like you can panic and fold and die but your life is on the line. So you've got to almost like that, that um, saw movie we were talking about where they were all in the house and they had to work together as, as a team. Right. Um, I, 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 but I don't, I, I, they could be considered horror movies, I guess, but I see them more as thrillers.
1: There was was... called
0: like the interview, I think, or, or the application or something where uh, all these people were stuck in a room and they were given one rule. Yeah. And, and, you know the rule was very deceptive and and again they had to like they learned that they had to work together like i just love that premise because it's different
1: there was um there was one uh be, toward the beginning of the month that i saw i was i was trying to uh, trying to look for it's it called um it's from uh, 2016 it was called home invasion hmm. and um it was uh, and basically it was a thriller like could you consider it a horror movie because it has a horror premise hmm. was that um there was a a woman who had a friend over And these these intruders um, uh, shoot the friend and then try and break into this woman's house on a rainy night. That's like an isolated area. Of course. And um, yeah, exactly. And so all that's left in there is like the woman and her son or her stepson. But it's like these these masked assailants. They have like a not like a not like a, a like a Michael Myers mask, but kind of like a. Like a like a Mardi Gras mask or something like that. Okay. They're wearing See, like yeah. trench coats and stuff. So it's one of those um where we're we're breaking into the house or we're trying to break in the house for I I can't even remember what the premise was, but it's like um <clears throat> like that is more um more thriller than it is horror, but you get those same you get the same sensations from it. it is right. uh, just um I think home invasion or break-in films or something like that, they they're they're kind of in an odd like space because you have burglars or something breaking in with a with a motivation this is like they want to they they know you have jewels or a safe or something and they want to break in whereas like uh uh, jason just wants to break in because he just has the urge to kill everybody
0: (laughs) yeah this is another one along that line and i've heard they're making a second one called the strangers which mm -hmm. they wore i think it was more like a burlap mask or something like that. And and that mm-hmm. was another one that was really creepy because you don't even get a sense of who's attacking you. And I think that as an extra element of fear to it because you don't even know what you're fighting against. Right. Or a lot of times why. Mm-hmm. And and I like that. But that, that then there were like the the more commercial versions of that like Panic Room with Jodie Foster, uh Flight Plan I think or uh, there was another one but it was in in the air and it might have been that or no it was with um it was Rachel McAdams um redline i think or something or something like that where where she was uh kind of put hostage by the guy that was sitting next to her and led to all, all stuff off of the plane and all that but but those kind of you know isolation premises that are outside of just being in the woods mm-hmm. are are I, I really like that because it just it's a twist on it it's not just the same thing being regurgitated and they make you think it's a different premise, like Panic Room, I thought was great. Um, but it, it eventually, I think everything just becomes stale. And if they aren't creating new ways to do things, it's just regurgitating the same thing over and over. Even if you're telling the same story, find a different way to do it. Right. Yeah. Yet we can go through nine seasons of Three's Company where the premise is there's some confusion about something <laughs> and, and thoroughly enjoy well... every bit of it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, that's that's a different genre altogether. So,
0: uh, comedy is a little more loose. You can you can get away with that. I yeah. Think. Um, I wanted to ask you also. Um, you know, one of my current favorite actors is Chloe Chloe Grace Moretz. I think she's absolutely fantastic. She did a movie called Greta, that I cannot watch. It's one of the only movies I cannot watch, and I don't know if it's because I just saw it at a sensitive time. Or something, but this is like manipulation and psychological and physical manipulation at its finest. And from what I remember about the premise, this woman befriends her, turns out she's been lying to her the whole time. She keeps her hostage in the house. And I think about like, this is the kind of stuff that really happens to people. And even though there are certain liberties that they take in a horror movie, I went through a a, a time when I was listening to a lot of true crime podcasts, which don't ever do that. Everybody out there, don't do that. It's horrible um, to know what really goes on in the world. Um, If you live in an area that's dangerous, maybe, you know, listen to some to, to see the signs of things. But man, to know the brutality of real life is the biggest horror that there is. And I think it was when I was listening to some of these that that I saw this movie and I'm like the psychological trauma that is going on in this film. Like it was too much. It, it like took it to a level where I had to stop watching it. And that is a huge statement because wow. I'll sit there and I'll go through anything until the end. But this one, I don't think I've ever gone back and watched the ending.
1: I don't I don't think that I have. Um, I don't know if I've said uh, I've heard of it, uh, let alone seen it. Is, is it uh, re- it's recent? uh
0: yeah it was within the last decade or so okay um uh, but man yeah that was and, and it it you know you might watch it and not think anything of it i think it, it might have very much been the time um there was one particularly inhumane uh crime that that i heard on a true crime podcast and i'm glad i heard it because it's the thing that made me stop I and mean, it was just so horrific what they did to this person but there was a film called i think it was called an american story which was a, a true story about someone who had been um, put in, locked in a basement and just tortured, like tied up, burned with cigarettes, um, cut, salt poured in the wounds kind of thing. And this was based on an actual story that happened. And I I think about that. I'm like, I remember watching the movie knowing that this really happened. And I think that was another one where I had to stop it like a couple of times going, I don't know if I want to see the rest of this. But I, I wanted to know that she got away. You know, there was knowing that it was a true story, there was a part of me that really wanted to know that she got away and, and she didn't. Um, her sister did, which was the good thing. But um, I think sometimes there's a reality to movies that it's rare that I have to draw a line because I'm pretty much up for anything. But some of those psychological ones are far more difficult to watch than the fear of a slasher chasing you or... You know, a Poltergeist. I think those are, to me, are some of the most effective psychological
1: movies. Mm, that's that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. Ones that ones that could actually happen. Say, like um, like Misery is another one. Mm. Excellent example and great performance uh, uh, f- on both sides for
0: that movie. Mm-hmm. That was one of the few movies that I read the book, a, a Stephen King book, and I thought the the movie did it justice. Yeah, but they always have to go one step too far, don't they? He gets away from her. She's obviously dead, but yet his psychological side of things sees her as the the person in the restaurant and and you know, they're trying to show the after effects of the the damage of what happens. Mm-hmm. but in the movie, it's almost like you're just trying to go for one more jump scare, aren't you? You know and I do you, do you see that a lot in movies where they just kind of push it a little too far at the end?
1: Yeah, I mean that's um I, that was the the uh, what um uh, I, I think you would uh, didn't you say that on the last episode where the Friday the thirteenth was over yeah. and then they had to get that one last thing where he jumps out of the lake and they go for yeah. that one last scare yeah right
0: and and they didn't really give you the they gave you the idea that it had to be her imagination because she had survived it she was on a gurney you know in the hospital so that must have been her imagination but at the same point they're also introducing Jason so that he can now be Yes, it's not just his mom being a psycho. He really is still available as a character, yeah. you know. Yeah, but but are there are there any movies that you've been pushed to a point where you're like, I can't watch any more of this? Not from a it's horrible, like it's badly done standpoint, but just like the like psychological <laughs> edge of it, yeah. or or it's just like too much to watch. Um,
1: man, you know, I, I can't. I don't have any at the ready. I can't think of anything offhand, but I know that there are, there are things that there are things in movies where I've, I've had to like, you know, turn away or just like close an eye or be like, Oh, I can't watch, which usually revolves around if somebody is like, uh, is breaking toes or pulling teeth or like doing something like that in a really sensitive area. Like those, yeah. um oh, what are those? um uh, What movies were those? The uh, hostile movies. Yeah, those were you know, brutal. where they like uh, the guy cuts the guy's Achilles tendon, or uh, when he's in the slices it off when he's in the chair. He goes over and he the, you know yanks the tooth out because those are things that like yeah. I don't know how other people feel about it, but I can like physically like feel it. Like i just like if if somebody like slashes an Achilles heel, I'm just like oh oh, and I grab my heel like you can <laughs> you can feel it. Like I think there are certain sensitive. Uh, parts of the body, especially yeah. like when you're watching like a like a a, a torture film like that, mm-hmm. that um that your your mind just kind of creates that that pain for like maybe a split second, almost like it's happening to you. I can't I can't watch those. Yeah, under the fingernails for me is another one. Oh yeah, under That's yeah anything that, yeah. with fingers,
0: teeth, like. Ugh. That's why I've never watched the Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman because I know that they they do that thing where they pull his teeth out. And uh that was like mid-70s or late 70s, I think. Yeah. Uh and that was known as it, it's always been inherited as like one of the most brutal scenes to watch because that's exactly why they picked those areas. Because obviously a psycho would do that in the first place. So there's an, an element of realism to it. But as the viewer, it's visceral. You feel yeah, what's happening to those people. Yeah. Whereas I can watch Saw, and for the most part, I can I can see the traps and things and really not. Be bothered by it. I don't know what the difference is. But when Shawnee Smith had to jump into that pit of syringes, I felt that.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: But my favorite one was when they had the guy, I can't remember if he was, I think he was standing up and they had his arms uh, stretched out and there was like gear around them and they had his legs stretched out and there was gear around him. and, And as the clock started, the thing started to rotate like that. Yeah. Each one of his, like that imagine the psychological factors of that. And you can't, you don't even have a chance to to do anything about it yourself. You have to depend on somebody else to save your life. That's where I thought they kind of crossed the line of the original premise was, you know, you've got Shawnee Smith with her head locked in this thing and she has to do something to save herself. In those cases, it was, you have to convince somebody to save you. And I thought that kind of went beyond the premise of the original Jigsaw. Mm-hmm. Where it was about you've done something wrong, you have to pay for it. It's up to you, right? You know, there was there there got to be as they went on, but I think that was also beyond Jigsaw being alive. I think that was when other people were like Shawnee Smith was taking over his role, and they were not as ingenious, yeah, or true to his his uh, original premise. Mm-hmm. Um, any other movies that come to mind? Oh, I mean we, we could, we're all over the place at this point.
1: We, <laughs> yeah, we, can, we we could go on, but it's like I think I think that um I think I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to call it until next year's um Halloween episode. I think we're gonna have to come up with the structure next time. I think so. <laughs> or, or come up with it and stick with it.
0: <laughs> I, I'm gonna give you one to watch if you haven't watched it yet. You can watch right. it on um what is it? Who who uh I can't think of the name. It's a uh, tubi, tubi.com, tubi.com, which is free. There is a movie, uh, and it's easy to confuse it because there's Army of Frankensteins and there's Frankenstein's Army. This one is called Frankenstein's Army, and it is a documentary-style movie because, you know, this was during that big everything-has-to-be-first-person-shooter kind of movie premise, which I did not like. Uh, but this movie is uh, during World War II, And normally I'm not into period pieces that much, but this is these guys go into this bunker and they meet this doctor who's experimenting with reviving dead bodies that are soldiers and turning them into super soldiers by combining them with weapons that are kind of built into them. This is, to me, one of the most intense movies I've ever seen. And a good chunk of the movie is just them trying to get out. And the way that it's shot is just masterpiece. And this is where, again, we take a low budget film, because this this was definitely not a big studio film, take a low budget film and you say, here's what you've got. Here's what you want to do. Find a way to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And these people delivered on every level from costuming yeah. to intensity, to the bunker, everything, uh, 100% top horror film for me. So wow. if you get the chance that that would be my homework for you to check out, it's, I don't want to oversell it. And then you have this high expectation <laughs> to be like, "Ah, oh, it wasn't that good. Uh, but you know, like turn the lights out, check it out. And what do you think, all right,
1: Frankenstein's
0: but, army will do frankenstein's army so don't confuse that folks with army of frankenstein's that is a whole different movie um but yeah this is this is an interesting one but john man this has been so much fun yeah and uh thanks for thanks for making time to do the second one this year yeah we'll, uh, we'll have plenty of time to plan a third a third one yeah. to figure out what we did and didn't follow i apologize for it being all over the place but that's it's kind of the nature of of it sometimes we we yeah. started off really well <laughs>
1: Stream of consciousness podcast. Well, I feel like our first our first episode I felt was a little bit more structured than when we hit like the early 80s, we were just like, All right, screw the format. Well, it
0: just (laughs) it just branches off into all these franchises, and then you know it it,
1: it gets kind of because that's
0: when all of a sudden there was a huge boom it's like they realized in the late 70s what horror movies could really do and we didn't just have to make romantic movies or comedies right um we could, we have a whole new genre to play with that people are excited about it's fun um and there's money to be made all year round, not just around halloween right so uh yeah it certainly exploded and and then of course you know special effects started to come into play like poltergeist and and nightmare on elm street and all that like we talked about so uh yeah it was a, it was a great time to be a kid for Mm. sure sure yeah i enjoyed it so as we're so this is going to air uh the day before halloween and uh deep purple podcast is on fire you guys have finally been catching up on episodes you have a bunch in the bank uh how many Mm -hmm. more do you have to record
1: before you can take your your december break oh i think i think we have like uh, a couple of more because uh nate and i usually take a break um right around uh Thanksgiving uh work gets pretty busy for the two of us so um uh we probably probably have a couple few more uh before we maybe take the Thanksgiving break maybe for a couple a week couple of weeks and then um yeah I don't know I'm not sure if he wants to do one more um I I can't imagine not recording for like 4 4 or 5 weeks <laughs> but uh, I think it's got to feel
0: we... better though than than the last time we talked and and you were like yeah we're we're really under the gun to get episodes done right now because yeah, of the summer
1: yeah no it feels good to be caught up but i think he wants to kind of keep that out uh, or we want to keep that buffer too for yeah. after the holidays we don't want to go in being where we were in 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 like uh august or or where, whatever it was it's like oh crap we need an episode <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> I thought I was doing pretty well. And then um, I had the, the Arthur Brown interview come up and the the opportunity to review his album. So there were two more episodes. And then I had uh, a couple things planned for Halloween that didn't go through. And then I had to, to fill in a couple of dates because now I've got uh, like three days in a row and then a gap and then four more days. And so I was like, well, I might as well just do another episode and fill that gap and make it a continuous streak. You know, um, well, you know how insane I am when it comes to, hey, I could do another podcast about something
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the deep purple legacy continues the band is still out there uh amazing uh i'm really looking forward to another studio album uh we're hoping with mm. they're not they're it's weird the bands are not playing a lot right now i noticed that with uriah heep there's like some festivals but they're not playing a lot and i noticed the same thing with deep purple is they're they're they've got some sporadic dates here and there but they're not uh they're not really like doing a tour.
1: Yeah. Yeah, don't know uh don't know what's going on with that but maybe maybe it's uh due to due to writing. Um that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, or uh yeah, it could be slowing down. I mean pretty slows down. Well, as the as the COVID numbers are starting to increase
0: again, that might have some impact on it. I did yeah. I did talk to Arthur Brown um about why bands in Europe cuz he's in the United Kingdom, why bands in Europe aren't coming over here except for Judas Priest who just seems to just do whatever. They're like, Hey, there's a place to play. Let's play it. And they make yeah. it work. But uh, a lot of it is cost. It, it mm-hmm. really has come down to how much uh, effect COVID has had on the economy and what it costs to do a tour right now. Um, what projected ticket sales are. And it's just not economical, which mm-hmm. really is sad for bands that I would still think, you know, like deep purple could still sell out huge theaters if not, you know, sell out a good chunk of a hockey arena. Yeah. But there's so much that goes into that, the travel expenses, the sets, the you know, the road crew and all that. It's it's pretty amazing. But I'm hoping the reason that they're not playing a lot is just because they're writing. Cause they they had talked about doing another album and um that's it's gonna be interesting with a new guitar player. Yeah. Well, we we're hoping for the best. Well, you saw Simon Live. Um, what what
1: are your it seemed like you guys had a pretty positive uh feel yeah. about him. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we you know, we're thinking that good Good things will come out of this uh, collaboration if the if they um, if they are able to uh, go through with it. I mean, he's you know great guitar player. He's um, you know great live with the band. Mm-hmm. So and they they seem to work really well together. So we're you know we're hoping that something really cool comes out of that. I think it will.
0: I think so too. I think the nice thing though is that he he got to tour with them before they started doing a recording. Because if you lose a guitar player, especially a guitar player, at the end of a tour, and then it's time to do a new album and you got to bring a guy in, haven't had a chance to really gel with the guys and and work together, travel together, but also really understand the band because you haven't been playing the songs. So I think it's going to be an advantage that he got to do a lot of shows with them before doing any recording, get a feel for where they're at, and then just see where it goes from there. Yeah going to be fascinating well john thank you so much for joining me for for this uh extravaganza of horror it's been a lot of fun uh we have some albums and stuff that we're going to talk about yet in the future so i am excited to have you back on the show when we get to that but in the meantime have a great halloween my friend
1: you too and uh, thank you for having me as always of course we'll see you in the next one cheers guys